fuck, what do you call it? What, what do they call it? Like when Hercules becomes an Olympian, what's the fancy Greek word for that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, de deification would be one way to talk about it, but I, I don't know what the actual. No, it's like apotheosis or something like that. Oh, does it? Ah, fuck it, whatever. Welcome to Nodding Off with Mark and Connor. I'm Mark, he's Connor. And in the last episode, we started talking about dogma and gnosis, and particularly how the Noetic Oracular deck is a Gnostic process and form, as opposed to the tarot, which uh, at least at this point has taken on a sort of dogmatic role in divination. And one of the key things that we've developed as part of the noetic oracular deck is a, a spread that has its own method of in interpretation and that is unique to this oracular experience. We're going to talk around a lot of ideas and why different positions mean different things and kind of what those positions come from what they mean. But for now, let's just start talking about the general idea behind the spread. And then we'll kind of drill down into each of the positions and where we can go with them. So, so Connor, where, where did this nod spread come from? What we're doing here is uh, taking the, the dogmatic technology of the tarot card deck, but then adding in my own, the gnosis of my spiritual practice up to this point, the topography of the noosphere, injecting that into the technology, the established technology of tarot. In this model of the noosphere that we've been developing, and I think we already touched upon this, religious experience, or in this case, divination, is a process of climbing symbols up through that sixth dimension of distraction to get closer to that omega point. From there, you can see further in the dimensions of duration and probability. So Roger Penrose um, talks about an, a theory of quantum mind. Our consciousness is actually smeared throughout the fifth dimension. And that's how you know what's, what's likely. So what, what this produces is uh, this kind of series of horizons. You have the, the noetic moment that I'm in now, the, the point on the plane of the concrete where duration and probability cross at this moment. From there, my consciousness is smeared out in the future, and that's how I know the likely probabilities that I'm headed towards. Like the possibility that I could stand up all the way out to like the possibility that I ain't gonna make the rent payment. I, I think of them as possible things. So they're uh, on this side of the, of the horizon of the possible. Uh, once you cross over the horizon of the possible, you have this other kind of penumbra the realm of the impossible. I don't think that there's going to be a bomb dropped on this building suddenly. I don't think that jackbooted thugs are going to come in here and arrest me. I certainly don't think that a flight of griffins are going to fly by my window. But I can imagine all of these things. So they are beyond the realm of the possible, but in the realm of the imaginable. There is another horizon beyond which I cannot see at all. And that's the realm of the unimaginable. That, that part of the noosphere is completely unaccessible to me from the place I am right now. So the process of divination 
So what we were just describing is uh, the plane of the concrete duration probability. Uh, we are climbing symbols up through uh, in the direction of abstractness on the dimension of meaning so that we can raise ourselves up on this plane of the concrete. And that will broaden these horizons so that we can actually anticipate further. The technology of divination is about randomizing symbols and then reinterpreting them into your moment. So you have this perspective, this point of view. It's the same thing as talking to your friend and asking your friend, what do you think about this? Except that your friend is a known quantity and your friend has their own goals. This is an objective randomization that's just a, an alien point of view. And you can get yourself in that point of view through interpretation. My goal was to use the spread to describe exactly that process. So the first step is that climbing process. We want to get up towards the, uh, the more abstract realms. The symbolism that made sense to me was uh, the Olam of Kabbalah, the four elemental worlds. And they make up the four cards at the corners of the spread. You start with uh, the first card is Asaya, the earth world, uh, which is the realm of action. This is the skin of the nose spirit, that, more, that most practical level of things, the sensory information that you're getting, what, what's actually happening physically in your world. And you go up to Yetzera, the air world, the world of creation through the associations with the classical element of air, you get more mental, intellectual interpretation. Uh, it's your ideas and, and your thoughts. And both of those are very personal. These next two worlds are, these two worlds are larger than one individual. So this is where you start getting into those uh, participatory beings, the gestalt demomorph kind of creatures. The first of which is the water world, Beriah, the world of creation, the emotional world. A thing I always say is that our emotions are bigger than us. Don't try to control your emotions. You control your behavior. That's all you can hope to do, but you can't blame yourself for having an emotion. That's, that's bigger than you. It's outside of you. You can just accept it and write it. The fourth one, the one close to the center is Atzaluth, the fire world, the realm of emanation. This is the most platonic form of all of that closest to that ineffable, unknowable place where everything means everything, the most abstract idea. And those four cards make up kind of the verb of what's going on. That's the ladder that we're climbing. They all ex exist in the physical space that you're occupying. They are your physical world, reinterpreted in different ways. Asaya, you're interpreting things in the most obvious way, the most concrete way. Yetzera, you're getting thinky about it. It's a little bit more abstract than how you're feeling about it and then what your instinct, what your, your most main idea about it is. You're climbing up this abstraction. And you're, you're looking at it through this random symbol, but you're also looking at the, the actual things in your life. So those things are symbols too, through this, you know, like a kind of capillary action the symbols of your life get drawn into this more rarefied abstract realm by forcing them through the symbols of the cards in these symbolic placements. It's, it's not just the cards that are getting more abstract as you go through those places. You're pulling your own life up with them and abstracting your life.
the four worlds exist in the noosphere. Is that is that right to say? Yes, exactly, exactly. These are different levels of that sixth dimension, the the dimension of meaning. So even when we talk about the physical world, it's not so much the material as the interpretation of something in its physical sense. Right, right. So yeah, everything in your world has a hyalic aspect, which is made out of matter. And again, I wanted to be able to have the noosphere to mirror the physical world as much as possible as above, so below. What we're talking about now is their noetic aspect, which is made from noumena, uh, which is the, the thought stuff of the noosphere. Noumena bleeds together a lot more than matter does, so things become other things very quickly in this through hermeneutics. Exactly. So the, the four worlds are an illustration of this process of interpretation, moving from uh, understanding something in its most basic physical sense, and then, as you said, climbing up the ladder to something uh, more abstract and then more universal, and then ultimately to the, the, the platonic idea I, I think that there's also an opportunity here to talk about how, about what occultism means, what the occult is. So th- this is distinctly an, an occult Gnostic process because what it's doing, so like we have these, these ineffable, mysterious processes of the tarot, which in typical tarot as a dogmatic tool you're not supposed to know about. The whole thing is that this is mysterious and you, it's a leap of faith. You just have to give yourself over to it, but you can't understand what happens. There's weird forces at play, though this this word force that does so much heavy lifting of just, you don't know what it is. Spooky action at a distance. And that's not what we're doing here. This is specifically about taking things that are familiar to you and, and making them into that force. The force is known. In, a, in an intimate way in, in this. And this mirrors what Manly P. Hall talks about in the Lost Keys of Freemasonry. At the beginning of the book, he says, I'm gonna go through here in this book, I'm gonna say all of the secrets of Freemasonry to you. I'm gonna lay them out. It doesn't matter, because this isn't the secrets of Freemasonry. I can tell you everything and you don't know any of the secrets because you have to live the secrets in order to know the secrets, just hearing just hearing information, a, a mere download into your brain, that's not gnosis. The secrets are, are kept there. Occult being hidden, this is where things are hidden. Right. You have to fully give yourself over to the secret and live that secret, allow that secret to be true in order to get the occult secret here. And so that's, that's what we're doing. We're taking the things of your life, mundane dross, and we're unlocking the occult secrets of them. So Gnosis is essentially experiential as opposed to dogma, which kind of exists outside of experience because it's it's a distillation of experience or of potential experience into a, a framework. And that's, you know, like, like when Manly Hall says, like, I can, I can tell you all the dogma, essentially, but I can't tell you the Gnosis that happens as a part of that. Dogma is objective, where gnosis is subjective. And the problem with dogma and its objectivity is 
that can only ever be theoretical. So it's trapped deeper in the noosphere. It's trapped in that Yetzirik world. Whereas Gnosis has these deeper, you know, definitely Yetzirik, but reaching all the way up into Berea. It has the, the, you know, an emotional impact, but it also has this Asaya experiential, it happened to me aspect to it. So Gnosis is just, it's deeper, it has more depth, it, it takes up more space in the noosphere, it has more noetic weight than a dogmatic thing, which can only ever be known, but not emotionally felt. Once the dogma becomes truly down in Messiah and experienced with a hands, in a hands-on way, it starts becoming Gnosis. The more you interact with a set of rules and you understand them, the more you start jiggering with them and twiddling them. It's inevitable. Humans are hacking creatures. We, we hack. When we find a system, we improve it. Uh, that's evolution, baby. <laughs> uh, so then the other part of the spread, it's a cross of five cards in the middle. And that I wanted to be more of the noun of things, the, the uh, awareness that is doing the climbing, the querent. So for that, I use uh, the Hekka model of the soul. Hekka is just the Egyptian word for magic, but it's also this snake god, which I think is somebody else's eye at one point. But so they felt that the soul is actually five different people living all together. There's Ib, which is the heart, Ren, which is the name, Shoot, which is the shadow, and then Ba and Ka, which are the small and large soul. And these souls kind of plug into those four worlds. Those four worlds are all existing in the same physical space. There's an interpretive context that the self exists with that. It's so interesting. I keep trying to identify each, each soul part, like which of the four worlds they exist in. They have tendencies, but they, they, they move between them all. Right. It seems like they would have to, because if, if all four worlds exist simultaneously and we are, you know, in addition to, to living in this physical realm, we're also simultaneously living in these four realms of meaning. All of ourselves maybe lean in particular directions at given times, but ultimately we're looking at a compound experience. It's never this, well, this part of me does this and this part of me does this. It's saying, I do these things and there are parts of me that participate in these different aspects of reality but ultimately i'm still one being so the ba and the cod they kind of have they, they kind of stick in in one world for the most part like the cause up in the fire world and the ba's down in the earth world uh for the most part but then the rest of them create this convex and in particular, so the, the center card, the Ib card, the heart card, uh, it, it's the one that like, I really couldn't tell where it was at all, but I think it's because it actually, everything else is contained inside of it. It's the one that exists everywhere. It's the same thing as the center of the noosphere. When you get to that center point, that center point is the entire thing. The Ib is the social card. The Ib is the card that represents how you, how you as an individual cell of a personality connect into those gestalt Edelon entities. I remember in high school when we were talking about Ralph Waldo Emerson and transcendentalism, the oversimplification of it was an umbrella 
and everybody's holding on to a handle, right? So like we all get to individually hold on to the uh, handle that connects us to the whole umbrella we're all using. That it would be that uh, umbrella handle in this case. Yeah, yeah, you're yourself in groups, but it also is kind of the glue that holds the, all the other four selves together. It's yourself in groups, including the group of selves, which makes up the self. This is all new, very new information to me. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's let's talk about the other selves within this grouping. We've, we've talked already about the id as this kind of central being that connects with collective aspects of, of, of existence. So let's talk about shoot, the shadow, and Ren. What what is shoot? What is what is the shadow? To sum them each up in the word, the shoot is other. It's the part of your personality that that belongs to the other, that, that lives in the minds of others, the story that they're reading when they read your life. Whereas the ren is the self. It's the part of you that lives in your own mind, the, the story that you're telling as you live. So you act obviously the ren you access in a conscious manner as you think about yourself. But the shoot is something that you only have access to when you see that projected from others? Uh, again, you don't necessarily get access to it. You can only see a projection of it. Like you don't, you don't get the full version of that because it, you can only ever get what the, what the other is willing to let kind of seep out. Just now, I'm coming up with an argument that I think maybe you can't have ever have access to the shoot. Any shoot that comes into your consciousness is now part of the red. Right, because you'd have to assimilate. You'd have to have some kind of way. And you can only understand, I mean, this is a Jungian, the shadow self is a very Jungian idea. You know, he, he talks a lot about projection. It seems like that shadow that lives in someone else, that is the thing that gets projected onto you in interactions with other people. Mm -hmm. but you can't experience that as a projection. You just experience that as the other person. As they project onto you, you're projecting onto them. And in, in a way you are sharing the shoot with each other, but not in a way that's truly accessible. I think that what you're describing is the creation of it. Okay, so there is sort of like when these when these shadows overlap, there, there's something in between them. That's what exists separately from either. Yeah, there's a one and there's a one. In the process of becoming two, they make a three. And then the Ren is not that. It's, 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 it's not that ib. It's not that, that median point. It's the right. sort of conscious interpretation of what that might be whenever you enter a situation and you try to understand it, you can only ever filter it through your particular lens. So the Ren is that filtered version of whatever you're experiencing. It's the story that you're telling yourself. And, and the Ren tends Yetzirik and the shoot tends, bury it, bear, bear, tends to bury ah. Can you break that down a little bit? So the Ren, being the story that you're telling, is more conscious, more thought out, and therefore more airy, more Yetzirik. 
whereas the sh the shoot, uh, as you say, is something that's that's projected upon you. So in terms of your personality, uh, your experience of your soul, you more have a, an emotional reaction to it than it, it is a thought out thing. Therefore, it, it tends to the very uh, is what I've been finding. But they they're all over the place. I think something that we all do or at least I, I would assume we all do, unless we're uh, sociopaths, is we, we're we concerned about what other people think of us. Right. We're concerned about that version. We're in a conscious way, we are concerned about the version of us that exists within other people. And I mean, even if, you, even if you don't give a fuck or don't care what other people think, you are concerned with it in just like, it concerns you. What other people think of you concerns you. There's no way to not be concerned with what other people think. By thinking about you, it, it now concerns you. Exactly, yeah. And so it, does, it doesn't really matter if you're going to modify your behavior based mm -hmm. on that. I, that's the, the giving a fuck <laughs> part right. of it. So it seems to me that when you are thinking about the you that exists within others, then that's taking it out of Beria a little bit and right. that's putting it more in the realm of Yetzera. And, and likewise, I think Ren, as it exists in a conscious sense, like when, when you're thinking about who am I, what is meaningful to me, who is the person that I think I am or that I want to be, that's a very Yetzera kind of thought process. But there's also a lot of parts of us that don't exist in a, in a fully conscious way. Maybe when Rin is in that barrier realm, it's not necessarily something that you're super present with, but it's something that you like you're acting consistently with your axiom, thinking about it in a like a Kantian way. That would be the Ren approaching the cop that's a religious experience. That's where you're acting in accordance with your platonic self kind of thing. That, yeah, when the Ren drifts Ka word. Because I think the Ka and Ba are the two parts of the soul. No one has a conscious experience of them at all. They exist beyond a realm, uh, a horizon of the, uh, of the knowable in a way. Let's talk about them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Ba is the part of you that exists in the, in such as in the, the plank moment of time. It, it's the most, the most physical part of you almost. Like it, 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 it takes at least two moments to perceive time. There has to be a before and an after at least. The Ba is the self that lives in one moment. And in that way, it doesn't necessarily exist in time mm -hmm. because it exists only in, in a single moment, but it is, exists in each moment, which are then connected through that band of, of deeper souls that we were talking about before the pure, most practical experience of yourself. And so the, and the Ka is similar, like too abstract. It's the, the, so, such an abstract idea of you that you can't conceive of it because you are the real you. You knowing the practical existence of you can't understand this most pure, it's the best version of you kind. I, this part of the soul pops up a lot in various religious 
practices like uh, Alistair Crawley called it the holy guardian angel. You, you have to cross the abyss, which would be that in part to have a conversation with your holy guardian angel. The Hekka system that actually came up with this five-part model of the soul, the whole idea was having the Ba cross through the Dua where the Ib would be weighed and then you'd be allowed to, the Ba would join with the Ka which would create a star. The Pharaoh would then become a god. But yeah, so, so those five parts are at the center of it and that represents you as you are in the moment, the, the verb of the moment that the four outside cards uh, talk about. Yeah, so I wanna, I guess I wanna talk in a more practical sense how, how one would go about using the spread. And, you know, obviously we've talked about each of the stations but we haven't talked about like what what happens when you lay these cards out and how do you how do you look at them and how do you think about them and get that larger interpretation from it oh man what a difficult question <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching. Give us a like and subscribe to The Nod on YouTube. You can also find us as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And if you want to stay up to date with the Noetic Oracular deck and be notified when it's available for pre-order, be sure to sign up for our mailing list. The link is in the description.